Welcome, welcome guys to episode 12 of Cut the Curve, where I interview moguls, mentors, and serial entrepreneurs. I'm Flip Zweig. I've been in real estate investing 23 years in Arizona, and I'm honored today to have Mr. Stephen Trang over here. Who, thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Steve. Oh, the pleasure is mine. I mean, I really appreciate it. You're one of the legends, right, in our space. So, yeah, I'm honored to be here with you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Steve. And I was recollecting when I first met you. Do you mm -hmm. remember how we met? I think we met at my event uh, when I used to host meetups. So, I used to host meetups in uh, Tempe, Dave & Buster's. But I believe the one you showed up to was one we did uh, at the bar next to Dave & Buster's because, like, we had a really big crowd that was probably the first time you paid attention to me, but oh. I actually cold called your real estate office in Ahwatukee. Okay. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that was 2016, 17, yes. maybe. Yes, I remember that now, yeah. I think we had a consult. You were telling me what you were looking to buy. Exactly, exactly. Because that yeah. that, that's a big part of my business is networking with brokers, realtors, mm -hmm. and that's how I find my deals. So. Yep. Um, I know you said you were doing your own fix and flips at the time. And right. was that, was that the first, like, that was your bro, you on the brokerage there, right? That was my brokerage. We officially closed it this month. So oh. it's officially closed now, but yeah, we had, I that. don't know if that's a congratulations or cause you run oh. so many different operations and businesses. Yeah, it absolutely is a congratulations. Uh, it, it, I loved what I did. It was a great chapter in my life. Uh, but it's a chapter that um, it just was no longer meant to be with the direction that we're going. I could no longer service that to the level I believe it required. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did you enter the, because your background is, I believe, engineering, right? Yeah. Chem is it chemical or electrical. electrical? Electrical. So I have a master's degree, was a PhD student at one point. Uh, but yeah, master's degree in electrical engineering. So uh, yeah. That's way different than... What you're doing? Oh, I'm sure some of those skill sets really help you in your business. But did you ever think you would be doing what you're doing today? Uh, no, not what I'm doing today. But uh -huh. I always thought I was going to be an entrepreneur in one way or another. So uh, I did not fit in in the engineering crowd, and I now know why. Now that I understand personality profiles better, mm -hmm. so I did not fit in in the engineering crowd, and I didn't fit in in the salespeople crowd. Right, so. I was too extroverted for an engineer and not detail oriented enough and too introverted to be a classical salesperson. But I always knew, I also knew I was not manageable. So I always knew I was going to work for myself. I just didn't understand or know at what capacity. Interesting. And did you see that in your home growing up or how did you, like, what made you, are you born that way? What made you know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? Um, I think it was mostly probably greed. Um, you know, like you grow up, I mean, we uh, in the 80s, right? There was Wall Street, right? Michael Gecko, I believe. Okay, yes, right? yes. So you got that. Um, this is gonna sound really embarrassing and re totally ridiculous, but you know, when I was in college, I loved, you know, um, big timers. You know, these guys with their Bentleys and their- Okay. Right, they're spending so money you out have of a, control. You had, that, you had that flash that you, you enjoyed that flashy stuff or the money aspect or how to I, I, make I enjoyed the idea of doing it. I could never do it. I just cannot go out and spend that time. I wear a Samsung watch, right? I can't have a nice watch. I don't have nice stuff uh, with, except, with the exception of my, my car. But beyond that, I just can't do it. 
Uh-huh. But I always appreciated the allure of being able to do that. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But I was raised fiscally responsible, so I can't. Gotcha, gotcha. Can't do it. <laughs> so uh, the engineering, was that kind of expected of you in the, the family? Or how did you choose? to? Were you good in math and science yeah, and all so, that growing uh, up? It was... We, you know, the Asian culture, right? Like you, get, you have to get a good education. You have to get straight A's. You have to get straight A's so you can get a scholarship. You have to get a scholarship to go, you know, to pay for college and have to do that. You have to go get a good job and then you work and save money uh, so you can retire, right? And that's the roadmap for uh, the Asian family, right? You mm -hmm. can be anything you want so long as a family lawyer or a doctor. Like, right? <laughs> any of those three. <laughs> any of those three is, is, is fine in our books, right? <laughs> Um, so when I decided to, and I became an engineer, not because I was passionate about it. I do enjoy sol problem solving, right? Which goes back with the entrepreneur mm -hmm. capacity. Uh, but I only did engineering because I was really good at math, right? Like I did, I did all the, you know, AP classes, whatever. So, uh, back when I was in third grade, I was doing like eighth grade math. Like, so I was good at math, but I wasn't like in love with math. It was just right, something right. that I had. Uh huh. So yeah, I did the engineering. I, you know, did all the things to make mom and dad happy, and then uh, uh, crush their dreams. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you? You did it for your parents. It sounds like they were yes. With, okay. Yeah, it was. I mean, like um, we just. I just had a biography written about about uh, about my parents, right? So uh, it's the first time I said this publicly. Uh, so I just had a biography written by them. I read the first draft this weekend, and so like, my I am the oldest of six boys. I never knew that. And wow. so with that, like the expectation was always, and my parents were immigrants, right? I wasn't even born in the United States. So they came here, they took the perilous travel, you know, everything to come here to sacrifice. And so we have to honor our parents by doing uh, what's right by them. But at the same time, again, I was not manageable. I knew that once I had a boss. Mm. So that's really the respect for culture, for mm -hmm. the, the education, the parents. Yep. Um, because um, we're in an area where there is a lot of Asian families and my kids are in AP in classes, but I, they're in tutoring too. So I always had them in tutoring and it was interesting because it would just, there would be so many Asian families in that. Well, there's a couple other things too, though, right? Like education is highly valued, right? Like we have to assimilate. That's part of our culture. Like being the Asian culture, you have to assimilate with the environment. It doesn't matter where you are. That's the reason why my name is Steve, right? It's not a Chinese sounding name. Oh, so we have to gotcha, assimilate, gotcha. we have to get good, we have to get a good education because that's how you advance. Um, and then also with bragging rights, you know, like every family get together is like, my son's <laughs> doing this, my daughter's doing that. Like, what are you doing? What's your kid doing? So how do you top the Val Victorian? Because once there's, is that like the Trump card? Like my son is the Val Victorian. Because uh, I noticed a lot, there's that discrepancy between that ranking is like this it's yeah so, so i like, was nowhere near valedictorian but the pressure must be immense growing up in that kind of yeah like, it's incredibly high expectations which is you know it could be stressful it could cause damage i mean i've recently learned that there does cause some childhood trauma i don't regret it but uh -huh. now i understand it right uh so the high expectations but i think if you're going to screw up your kid like that's probably the best way to screw up your kid <laughs> yeah through education so. yeah like over educate <laughs> high, super high expectations and yeah, I think that's that's probably because we're all going to screw up our kids at some point. Yeah. Right. Yep, so if you're yep. going to screw up your kid, like that's not an awful way to do it. Absolutely. So you get the degree. Um, 
then you go on to graduate school. Mm-hmm. Were you a Sun Devil or? Uh, so I went to ASU and then I went to UC San Diego for graduate school. And I worked at Intel for three and a half years. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh my goodness. I never, that, I had my son, like, I'm big into reading too, as you know. So like I had him and I paid him for it. I made him do the chapter outline so he mm. could like sink in and learn yeah. it. And you could do that through YouTube guys for your kids. But that, that book is a like, yeah, game so changer. That was the book the that, mindset. that changed, right? So uh-huh. I thought maybe I would have, so I, I knew like general contractors, not real estate, but like engineering contractors who had entre- uh, um, contracting businesses okay. that would sell their services at Intel. And I could see it, right? Like, okay, they make 50% to 100% more than us regular W2 people, right? So if you're 1099, you make more money. So eventually that was the direction I was going to go. I was going to find a wife, had good health insurance benefits, right? Mary Harris, so we could take care of insurance, and then I was going to go make extra income. Just change directions when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Wow. Wow. And when you say you weren't manageable, what, what does that mean to the viewers? Like what, what is that? Like you, you're not the employee. Is that because some of the viewers haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you haven't guys, you have to read that book. It's just, it's just a great, great book. So when I sound that manageable is that I will disagree with you or if I disagree with you, it's well known that I disagree (laughs) with you. And it's not be disrespectful or anything like that. It's so, at Intel, we had six core values, and one of them, which is like books have been written about, was disagree and commit. All right, so you're my boss. You say, Steve, here's the best way for us to move forward in this project. And I say, Flip, you're wrong, right? And it's like, Well, this is what we're doing. So I have to disagree and still commit oh, to what you said. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Right, your vision. Because that's the, your, your, that's your superior. That, that's my superior. Yeah, this yeah, is a company core value. This is what we're doing, right? Uh huh. But what I would do, I was like, All right, Flip's wrong but I will do it exactly how Flip wanted it. And I'm still gonna do it my way. So then when the project's done, it's like, all right, Flip, here's what you wanted, right? Here's what I did. Let's look at the results mm. and then we'll go with what I wanted to do. Interesting. So that is not disagree and commit. That is like, it's not disrespectful, but it's not, it's, it's you know. It's not in line with Intel's Val- core yeah. values. So it's how disobedient. Did, how did that serve like that relationship? Were they like they weren't upset? They because you produced, right? I like, produced, <laughs> right? I mean, I, uh-huh. I consistently got to exceed expectations in all my reviews, right? So like I produced, but this guy is not someone we can just kind of put into a cube and just expect him to do what we want. Yeah, and that's what the big giant corporations that cube them. That's like <laughs> yeah. they expect, and so. They're trying to mold you and you've been molded for like, you're not going to change who you are. And right. Yeah. But people have to obey that or you make the choice and you leave. So what, what ended up being that pivotal moment that you decided, Hey, I'm not for Intel or. Uh, So Rich Dad Poor Dad says buy rental properties and have your passive income exceed, exceed your active income. Then you can just quit your job. Right. That's what they say. Okay. Uh, or something along those lines. Yes, yes. Uh, that's not what I did, right? So I went to go buy some rental properties, met a real estate broker. It's like, okay, like this guy is making 100000 a year and he just kind of hangs out all day. And I'm busting my butt. Oh, I'm not busting my butt, but I'm working and I don't make 100000 a year. But you were probably, how many hours they work you? I mean, they were probably uh, working you. So Intel has a reputation of being a sweatshop, but I was probably working like 25 hours a week. I wasn't really okay. working that hard. So you knew how to. I was also <laughs> yeah. manipulating the system. Again, not manageable, right? Uh, so, but 
uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad says, you know, get passive income to exceed your active income. Does not say become a real estate agent. I made a real estate broker. I look, think to myself, this guy's making more money than I am and all he does is hang out. Mm. I need to figure out what he does. And so I go work for him. Right, so you so got your real estate license. Got my real estate license, two and a half weeks. Go back to Intel, submit my two weeks notice and I'm working for this guy full time. May of 2007, not a good idea. But that's what I did. Uh, it upset my parents. Uh, it was a. I mean, there must have been upheaval. At <laughs> there was the train family. There was house. like holy cow. They were like, yeah, that was a massive curveball. Uh, um, and it was a horrible financial decision. But I wouldn't change anything. Because were you single at the time, or you were married? I was and single at this exact moment. Okay, and then married a few months later. Oh wow! Yeah, so in so, the midst of the career change. Yeah. You, so my poor wife, we did a whole like ultimate bait and switch. Right? She was marrying. She agreed to marry an engineer with a this, stable job. <laughs> right. Stable paycheck, this yeah. engineer, and then... Right. Mm. And what she did marry was this bum that wanted to go work for himself. <laughs> well, he's not a bum today. So, <laughs> so he's made the right decision, guys. So again, I think it's a gut feel too. Mm -hmm. And I was I had uh, Elise from uh, Transform Real Estate. She's in San Francisco. She was in the tech industry, Asian gal too, Um and she had so much pressure to stay in tech and she knew deep down for like three years and finally they laid her off. She's like, flip, it was the best thing ever could happen to me. Mm -hmm. She's been successful flipping for five years. And so I think internally you kind of, people know, but it's like, how do I, I'm going to let my parents down. I'm going to let my, like, it's a. I so mean, actually, so it's three and a half years, but like Intel has a reputation of always laying people off. And so I kept waiting. Like every time they had a layoff, I was like, please let me, let like, me be next. Let me be that guy, right? <laughs> and so they actually sold a division of Intel to Marvell. Okay. Um, and at this time, with the expectation that this division they sold to Marvell was everyone's gonna get laid off. That was the expectation. Ah. But that's not the official position, but like we all kind of knew. Mm -hmm. So I like, and I was in that division. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then my boss played a card and kept his division over at Intel. I was like, ah, <laughs> You're like, I can't catch a break. <laughs> Cannot get laid off for the life of me. Yeah. And so um, you could have did some tricks, like trying to get fired, but I don't think that would have went off too well. No, no. And actually, when I submitted my notice, they're like, uh, like, what do we have to do to keep you? I was like, right. I mean, like, if you pay me 200000 a year base, they're like, we wish you the best of luck out there. Because mm -hmm. they're kind of capped too, right? What yeah. they could do as There's managers. no way they could have made me that. Yeah. Right, like a, a, a entry level or not entry level, but a low level engineer, 200 grand, like that would never Yeah, fly. yeah. So all that education, all the sleepless nights of studying, you yeah. you, you decide, you, you, you go in 2007, get the real estate exam. He kills it, by the way, two and a half weeks is pretty impressive to do that. So you get that and then you work for the broker you met mm -hmm. and were you a traditional realtor? Were you yeah, I was a traditional real estate agent for the first four years. And that's why it was a really horrible financial Man. decision. Uh, it was a terrible time to be a realtor. Because the recession was yeah. right around the corner. And um, I actually learned about wholesaling from my cousin because he and I both quit around at the same time. And um, and you might know him actually, Wayne Ung, right? So Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't done deals, but I know the name. Yep, yeah, so that's yep. my cousin, right? Okay. So he quit like right after I quit. And he's like, Steve, we should be wholesaling. And I was like, that's a fad. So you were like a skeptic? You're like, very skeptical. Uh -huh. And it took me four or five years to figure that out. And unfortunately, you know, there are times where I'm very strong-minded, you know, stubborn. And so 
totally missed out on that whole opportunity, but it all worked out in the end. Yeah, so I'm sure you learned a lot of lessons from being, because I've never wanted to be a realtor. That's that's the hardest job I could ever imagine. So if you want to make money, I mean, you could sit around and not do anything, but what did you learn from that experience as a traditional realtor? Like what was the main takeaway? Because um, the biggest skills is how to manage multiple personalities in a transaction, right? So as a realtor, you have to manage the other side. Mm-hmm. Right? So the cross realtor, you have to manage your client, whether it's a buyer or a seller, you have to manage transaction coordinator an escrow officer, uh, the loan officer, um, and inspector, um, and all, uh, contractors are necessary, but there's a lot of moving parts. For sure. A lot of people that uh, have, you know, not equity is not the right word, but they have a, an interest mm-hmm. in this transaction and everyone's emotional and you've got to keep everybody's <laughs> emotions in check. I mean, um, if you look at a buy a sell transaction, like if you're looking to sell your home and buy another home, that's two escrows that are happening. And if there's a contingent sale, it's even more stressful. Man, yeah. And so uh, I've read that the only thing more stressful than a buy sell transaction is burying your child, right? And I say that, it's not an exaggeration. Like, this is right. what I've read. So I always have to prep. Like, hey, Flip, I appreciate you trusting me to sell your home. I help you buy another home. I just want you to know that in the next two to four or five months, this is going to be extremely stressful. I want you to know that. So, like, when you're getting heated with your wife, just understand, like, this is normal, right? So just... Be prepared mentally for it. So when it does come up, like it's not as extreme. Man. Right. So I have to manage all these expectations and emotions. Because buying a home is the biggest purchase you're going to make in your life is, you know, so that's, it's very emotional. And Mm -hmm. you're the guy, were were you driving them around looking at When I was working with buyers, I was. And one of the most uncomfortable situations I had was showing a home uh, in Ashland Ranch, right? Just not that far from here. Uh Uh-huh. And husband and wife were like, I was driving them back after the showing. And like, they're screaming in the car. I was like, this is gross and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're kind of like the guy in the, in the middle. You're the middle man. You're like, your eyes on the road driving. <laughs> I'll just focus on the road. Let them beat each other up or whatever they do. So yeah. all kidding aside, for me, I, when I got started in real estate, I saw that um, from some examples and I, I didn't want to be a realtor because the emotions with investments, it's all numbers. Yep. It's, it's absolutely. Numbers. Absolutely. So, uh, but the ability or the, the lessons learned there does translate, right? Later 100%. on when you're managing a team, when you're managing an organization, right? I'm incredibly blessed to have amazing people that work with me that trusted me with their futures, right? With their income. Yes. And so, um, being able to manage everyone's emotions and expectations and so on with, multiple moving parts that actually I shared with you earlier, right? Like I had to cancel on you two weeks ago because like I was dealing with a tough situation because I have all these emotions going on at the same time. Right. And that's yes. the, the, as a business owner, that's, that's the hardest thing on top of everything else. That's probably the hardest thing to, to, to deal with the emotions. So I, I, we're going to get into that because I know you're very into the assessments and hiring and the mm-hmm. testing and, um, time management's another big one I learned from Steve is like when I first met you, you're like, you are lasered to like every hour on hour of yeah. your day. So that's, t- tell us a little bit about your, how did you, were you always like that or you just I was, no, learned? no. I mean, the first few years of my, my career were absolutely wasted because I didn't have rigid structure, right? Like working nine to five, you got structure. Uh-huh. Uh, 
someone else is telling you your structure. Right. Uh, so once you become self-employed, there's no structure. You kind of do whatever you want, which sounds like a wonderful thing. Right. But it's actually an awful thing. And so uh, I had to create rigid structure. And I learned a lot of it from Darren Hardy and his training, Insane Productivity. I think the single best training there is on time management. But yeah, like for me, my time is calendared ahead of time. So I knew this was on my calendar, right? Weeks ago. Right. Um, so that I can't accidentally put anything over it, right? So mm -hmm. everything has to be regimented. Every hour has to be accounted for because if it's not accounted for, then it's wasted, right? For like sure. If you, don't have any, if you don't have anything planned at that time, then you're going to just do whatever. Right. And that whatever is never a high income activity. Right. Right. So. Because by nature, we just do the easiest, laziest yeah, thing. Yeah, we just like, drift. Yeah. We'll just do whatever is like, yeah, maybe I'll check some emails, maybe I'll check my Facebook, whatever, but not income activities. And our time is too valuable for sure. to be squandered. For sure. So one of the questions that I've talked to uh, with a number of guests on here, Stephen, is like when people will reach out, I know you have people managing your accounts, but like I manage my own. So people will reach out to me and some other guests and they'll say, Hey, Flip, I just want to pick your brain or take you to coffee. How, yeah. how would you approach that from a different angle? If you were just new, trying to get in the business, what would you say to someone that you want to go um, be around? So, and what I used to do, right, was I kind of take out the lunch. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Uh -huh. uh, these days, I would probably do a little more research and figure out what is important to them. What need do they have? Uh, we hear a lot of like, hey, Flip, how can I provide value? How can I add value into your life? Which is much better mm -hmm. than can I pick your brain. But what would be best is if I actually do some due diligence. Find out what Flip's into, right? I know Flip's in Airbnbs. Maybe I'll look at some Airbnbs. Like, hey, Flip, I have some Airbnbs I'd like to share with you. Would you be open to taking a look at these? I'd be like, yes, Let's that's go. all I do. Let's, right? Let me check them out. And so, But then this is valuable to you. Now you'd be yes. willing to meet with me over that's coffee great advice. or lunch. Yeah. But if I say, hey, Flip, can I, uh, how can I add value to you? I'm not saying it's lazy, but it's not far enough. Right. It doesn't exceed, like we talked about expectations and right. everything you do. You should want to exceed the whatever. Like, yeah. Like who raise would, the bar. If I'm in Airbnbs, why would I not want to check out additional Airbnbs, right? Uh, if I'm flipping houses, instead of saying, hey, you know, like how can I value? Say, hey, I got some properties that, you know, look like some of the other properties you flipped. Can I share those with you? Yeah. Who's going to say no to that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you did the real estate traditional thing for the four years mm -hmm. and then your uh, cousin, Wayne, was... Did he finally get you to pull the trigger on wholesale uh, or what? No. Like, no. <laughs> you were I, still like. <laughs> so he's wholesaling and flipping this whole time. He's done very well. Uh, in fact, he's lending for me on a property that we're closing on. Uh, so. That's awesome. Uh, for me, I did the realtor thing. I'm still a licensed realtor. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was buying houses on accident in like 2010, 2011. Because I was, I, my realtor had, right? Your home is all guaranteed or I'll buy it. And uh, I was marketing that hard and I was marketing it on PPC and I ran into people that were, that message was appealing, but they're like, but I want the cash offer now. It's like, no, you don't want the cash offer now. Cause it's going to be lower if we list than if we list it. They're like, no, I want the cash offer now. And so like these people were closing me, <laughs> they were making me buy their houses. Like, okay. I mean, if you, if you want cash, this is where we're at. And I was overpaying. I was paying 80%. I didn't know that. I was overpaying. So I was paying 80%. I were buying these houses, we were wholetailing before wholetailing became a term, um, and we ran out of money, right? Like, 
uh, my parents, thankfully, you know, they have cash. So uh, we bought, we were able to buy one or two houses at a time. And it got to a point where I, where I ran out of money and had to wholesale. And this is a fortuitous time because this is when I met Jamil. Ah, and, shout uh, out to Jamil. Yeah, shout out to Jamil, right? He was a Zillow lead back in 2012. Um, right, he called me off of Zillow in 2012. Right, he was doing that thing he's talking oh, about now, calling realtors. Yes, yes, okay. Right? He was and doing he that back. Reach out to you. He reached out to me, and I was like, "Well, you know, I don't have a lot of deals, but when I do, I'll give you a call." And so I was wholesaling him to Jamil. To Jamil, because I ran so out. So he was buying the houses while I was cold calling Steve. I was, well, or, that was 17, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you would, yeah that was well sure. before you. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was. But he's doing what he's teaching now. So yes. he was like. Uh, so I would say, Hey, Jamil, you know, I got this property, where do you need to be at? And then I would go in there and try to get it, uh, 5,000. Cause I didn't know 15,000 was an option back then. So I would try to get it 5,000 below mm -hmm. and then we would split and then he would pay me his uh, wholesale fee. Yeah. Jamil has the largest franchise in America now with Keegley, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. check Jamil out. He does Keegley and they teach their company is wholesale. Is that every right? Predominantly That's wholesale, yeah. Predominantly wholesale. Yep. But he's he's mastered the wholesale business. Yeah, he's so. mastered. And then you know, you mentioned earlier Brent Daniels is guy that was yep. number episode number one. So I met him in twenty Connections, say, guys. Look at twenty ten or so, right? Uh -huh. Like uh, he bought a deal at auction house at the auction steps. And I had a buyer for it before it went to foreclosure. So like I called this guy, I was like, Hey, like my client was under contract to buy that, you know. I see you bought it at the auction. Like, how can we do it? How can we still work together? He's like, if they pay the same price, I'll honor that price, right? And so he made $40,000. And I, so I was like, okay, this guy just made $40,000. Like, I should take you out to lunch. And I met with him. Wow, so, wow. Yeah, long time ago. That is a long time ago. Hey guys, quick announcement. I just launched my new Passive Income Accelerator course. In this course, you'll learn how I built my Airbnb portfolio to 10 properties and growing while amassing three to $5,000 per property per month. If you want to learn more, go to piaaccelerator.com slash go and sign up for the early bird special. And now back to the podcast. Steve, the guy that doesn't you seem to network, be out all the time, and you say you never go out. Well, like as a that. realtor, you have to know everybody. True. As a yeah. realtor, yes. Yes, yeah, that, very true. So um, you saw the wholesale thing was real. I saw it, but I was still fighting it until I ran out of money. Ran <laughs> then I had to wholesale because we couldn't flip anymore. Right, right. Yeah. So from there, like, you're big into building organizations, I know, you because that's what I always admired about you as far as the systems, like you always talk to me about systems and you got to set up systems. And yeah. I mean, so um, where, where are you at now? And where did you go from the wholesale to all the different companies you own? And yeah, that? so, I mean, there was a brokerage and then there was a title company, uh, licensed realtor. Uh, we started the podcast, which isn't a business, but then we started education. Um, and then, I mean, we're now turning the media company into a company um got involved in blockchain recently i'm partnering with some guys that are doing big big things and you know he's gonna connect me with chris voss which is pretty cool so wow beautiful um because they're friends like it's just connections guys like get out there and yeah he's got to connect with talk people. to people as brand says ttt talk to people but yeah you, you have to be doing things you have to be documenting it and that's the key right that's the reason why i'm here 
for documenting it. So like 100%. I'm yeah. telling people about what I'm doing with NFTs and NFTs right now is a freaking disaster. Right. But because I was talking about it, I got people that are actually still doing well in that environment reaching out to me. And now we're doing some other things, but um, I think talking about it yes. on camera, uh, but going back to you were saying the, the entrepreneur thing, the system process, what was the question I apologize? Um, I was just saying that all the companies that you've started and mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing to see. And I believe it's all based on you being so systematized, even mm -hmm. blocking your time down to a you know very strict I think the biggest thing, truthfully, is that I am, I've got a shiny object syndrome, right? I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. Uh, but I've been able to hire people to serve where areas that I'm weak. So I was able to find people that are committed to the mission, right? Create millionaires, uh, committed to the mission. They like the vision. They like where, uh, what I want to do, and they can see how their journey fits within my journey. And so as long as I create an environment where they can thrive and achieve their goals while I'm achieving my goals, right? They're, they're happy to row the boat along with me. Right. So I think that, that is the biggest key above all else. The people is the single most important aspect of your business. Like everything is cool. Everything's fun and, and everything else, but. Cause you're making money. How couldn't it be fun? But when right. things don't go that way, the people have to be. Yeah, you got to have the people. You got to take care of the people. You got to love on the people. And it's hard for me, right? We're talking about being Asian, right? Uh, we bury our emotions deep down, right? We just create ulcers <laughs> is how we handle things. Uh, but yeah, the, the having the people, that's the single most important aspect. Having those skilled people around you. And as a the leader, right skilled people. the right skilled people. So let me ask you this. How do you find the right skilled people for say you're a small business, solo entrepreneur, but then you start hiring people. How do you go about that process or what would you recommend the viewers do to really find the right people? Because we've all had the wrong people in our businesses. <laughs> so what uh, is the key for that? So when I started my journey, it was Craigslist. It's no longer Craigslist, right? Uh, so now I say it's referral, right? Uh, Gary Harper is a friend of mine, a mentor of mine. He says like the best way to indicate that health of your business is dependent on how many referrals you're getting from within your organization, right? If they're referring their friends and family, then obviously they're spreading the evangelical, right? The, the, the prayers of your company. Uh, so referral is number one, uh, but number two is again, creating content, letting people know what you do, what you're about, what you stand for. Cause I have people reach out to me all the time. It's like, you know, like, I feel like I know you and I want to work, I want to do, things with you, right? Like the, the business and so on. Again, like going back to the blockchain thing, like they're reaching out because they see who you are. They can tell when you're authentic. They can tell when you're not being authentic, mm -hmm. right? But they want, if people connect with you, they'll want to work with you. And so I say today, social media before, I mean, it was Craigslist. I mean, you can do Indeed and WiseHire and all those other things. And those things work great too. But that, so say you that's find someone, warm say you find someone, there've been stories that you put them through a personality test. Is oh yeah. That, okay. So that yeah. would be something very val valuable as the business owner to understand that personality. Yeah. So flip is interested in working with me. So flip's got to go to my website, fill out a job form, first name, last name, phone number, email address, city you live in, Facebook handle, Instagram handle, uh, LinkedIn handle. Uh, why you want to work with me. And then there's a few drop downs that says, I understand this is a full-time position. I understand coming to the office every day is mandatory. Uh, coming to the office and meetings are all mandatory. 
I understand that prospecting three hours a day is mandatory, right? Like you have to fill all that out. Okay. That's step one. <laughs> Right. right. So right. if you made it past there, you're like, you could tell they want to do they're something. Serious. They're, they're serious right. about working with you and your organization. Yeah. And I have people say like, you know, you're, you're crazy, but that's step one. Step two is you have to take the predictive index. And predictive index is for more or less a more complex version of a disk profile. So if, when you take that, I can have an indicator of what drives you, right? Are you motivated by challenges? Are you motivated by having fun with people? Are you motivated by serving people? Are you motivated by just doing an excellent job, right? We could tell these four things based off how you take the profile, uh, how you answer those questions. And based off of that, we know whether there's a fit for you in our organization or not. Not to say that there's wrong profiles, but at any given time, we have different opportunities available, right? Sure. If we're looking for a videographer, we want someone that likes to do a good job. If, we, if we're looking for a buyer's agent, we want someone that loves hanging around with people. Uh, we're looking for a front desk person. We're looking for someone that likes to serve. If we're looking for a closer, we're looking that for someone that likes to drive, right, and win. So we're not saying that there's a wrong profile. It's just there might not be the right profile at that for time. our time when we have an opening. So that's step two? <laughs> that's step two. <laughs> okay. Then after that, there's a phone screen. And if you pass the phone screen, then we bring you in for an interview, a formal interview, where we, where we interview using the work Who by Jeff Smart. Okay. Uh, and after all of that, then the person that's running that company has to do the final sign off. I'm not involved in any of this, right? So the company leader systems, you got your yeah. systems in place. Yeah. Yeah. So the company leader has to sign off on it. And the reason why I'm not involved is because I will hire anybody and everybody, right? I just love, uh, I think, man, flip, I know you've never, uh, shown a buyer before, but I just believe you can do it. Like I just have that problem where I'm overly so, optimistic on people. Let me ask you this. Cause I used to get, I still get this. Like I wear the rose colored glasses. Yes. Like that's what people tell me because I'm so optimistic that this person can high regard do it. for people. Yes, high regard. That's, that's a terrible and quality. It's a great quality, but it's your worst quality too. Yes. Right. It's like great quality <laughs> for, you know, social yeah. interaction, horrible quality for hiring. Right. Right. So you got better suited people to do the hiring. So mm -hmm. after that process, the interview, and then do you make the, then we'll make the offer offer. Yeah. And at this point they're making offers without even talking to me. It's like, how much is this person making? Oh, okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even involved in that anymore. But again, if they're an entrepreneur, not saying it's easy, but you get beat up in the, in the field all oh, yeah. the time. So you got to be able to handle whatever thrown your way. If you really want that position. Yeah. So I understand why you make it. It's tough. Cha it's challenging. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. challenging because you weed out people that you don't want to hire someone and then three weeks later they're not they're not there. Yeah, and there's like this anxiety, right? Like I hire somebody, it's like okay, it's not a good fit. It's like okay, like now what do we do, right? Like we made them a job offer, they quit their other job, they moved here or whatever. Now like, and I know like the right thing to do is to let them go, mm -hmm. but it's hard. Right. So sure. I just rather reduce this anxiety and increase our percentages of hiring, hiring the right people. That's awesome. And um, the other thing I heard you mention is social media, which mm. I knew nothing about two and a half years ago. Mm. Pace is another guy out here in Arizona, yep. Pace Morby. So we were having lunch down at the golf course. He's like, Flip, you know everyone, but you don't know anyone. He's like, you got to get on Instagram. Just start with Instagram. And yep. man, it's it, it's a game changer. Guys. Yeah, it's the it's best network. It's no. the best form of uh, uh, business card, 
resume, right? Yeah. Like, hey, should I do business with Flip? All right, let me check his Instagram. Let's see what he's doing. All right, let's yeah. check his Facebook, right? Like, if this guy is constantly rap, uh, ranting about politics, probably not my guy. And I don't care if you're left or right, right? It's just if, you're, if that's what you're focused on all day, right? I right. just know you're not going to work in my organization, right? Right? Because right. you're. Yes, hundred percent. So if you're if you're making like misogynistic jokes or you're just posting selfies all day, again, not going to fit within my organization. Right. So like those are things that we can see. But yeah, like what you put out there is a reflection of you, and then that helps us figure out whether we should do business together or not. That's amazing. And one of the big things that all people on the podcast have in common is mentors i got mentors all over the place you spoke of a number of mentors and mm -hmm. can you tell a little tell the audience a little bit about mentors and what your thoughts are on having mentors around? yeah you? i mean i would not be where i'm at if not for the mentors in my life and like my very first mentor was like i was sharing with you earlier it's like when i was six or seven you know the guy started the single largest hard money company in phoenix mm -hmm. right when i was six so like he was someone that my dad looked up to a lot. I got to visit him in his home. Uh, and then, you know, then I kind of never listened to my dad when I should have. Uh, but then uh, as far as like self-development or whatever. Uh, but once I got started working for myself, I started, uh, I, I had the broker. He mentored me for some time. And then I eventually hired a coach in around 2010. And that was like, the best decision I ever made. And it was a hard decision because it's a thousand bucks a month and that was a lot of money and I already had a lot of credit card debt. So, but that was the single best decision I ever made because that's when I went from uh, solopreneur to business owner, right? I didn't know that difference, right? Even though Kiyosaki had the other book, right? About the quadrants, mm -hmm. I didn't understand the difference between self-employed and business owner. And that's when I made that jump after I got into coaching. Uh, but everywhere along my journey, there's been a mentor to help me go from where I am right now so the next phase. So right now, Larry Yash is helping me a lot with uh, uh, um, leadership, right? Uh, right now, I would say Nick Peterson, Dan Nicholson, Paul Sparks helping me learn a lot about certainty, which is a whole different thing, right? We never talk about it. So I'm learning a lot about that right now from these other three mentors. Um, so see how deep Steve's into it. Like these are these are very like specific like roles that these yeah. guys are teaching you so yeah, we're going really into the nuance right really <laughs> right, deep into that right. and then uh for 2018 uh for 2018 2019 i had a sales coach right uh brad ferguson sandler you know uh, i've i learned a lot from him right so everything i teach as far as sales goes now a lot of it i learned from him right so right. so say because a lot of things we hear is i don't have the money for a mentor like mm -hmm. in to me, it's backwards thinking. Like, yeah. can, can what are your thoughts? Like, if people are telling you that, or and then they're still hanging out with the same circle and they're getting the same results, and yeah. how do you like? I don't have the money, Steve. To so there's two other ways. There's two ways to look at it, right? My first thing I always say is you can't afford, uh, you can't afford not to hire a mentor. That's the first thing I'll say, right? And it's like, well, I don't have any, I don't have any money. If I were to start all over again, I would have put it all in a credit card. If I had, to, if I could have started all over again, right? I'm not suggesting people do, but I had to go over again. Right. If I were to meet my 2007 self, I was like, hey, dummy, like just put in a credit card. And, and the reason why is in 2007, I knew everything. Right. In 2007, I knew everything. I didn't need help. I got it. Right. That guy needed to be humble. Mm, mm. Right. So that's what I Some would. Some hard lessons. I'm sure like. Hard. <laughs> you were hard like. Because I, I was that stubborn dude too in the beginning. Yeah. Like, like and I got to figure it out. Like I've, yeah. I've succeeded in every facet of my life. How can I not succeed in this? Yeah. 
And you know the, that's what, the worst syndrome you could get into, guys. It's what like, is it? What is it like? You know, how do you make God laugh? Like, tell him your plan, right? So that <laughs> went through that experience. Mm. Uh, now I would say, if it's not, if, if the, you know, you can't afford not to. It's the first thing I'll say. But if that doesn't right. work, it's like, okay, well then maybe you're not in enough pain today where you need it, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're happy with where you are today. And if you're complacent, you're content with where you are. Don't hire a mentor. Yeah. Right. Uh, so for me. I believe that, you know, I was put on a planet for a reason. I want to maximize my potential, which is kind of a dangerous mindset to have, but that's where I'm at. And with that, I cannot achieve all my goals without talking to people that have done it better than me. 100%. Yeah. There's always someone that knows. If you're the smartest guy, I heard that. If you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in trouble. Like, yeah. get in another room. <laughs> well, and, you know, that's happened to me countless times uh -huh. where I was not the smartest guy in the room. I got in the room, I learned from everybody else, became the smartest guy in the room, got in another room. Now I'm the dumb guy again, learn everything I can, become the smartest guy in the room, right? Like that is yeah. the evolution of an entrepreneur. Right, You right. just wanna get in bigger and better you rooms. You have to stretch guys. Um, I bumped into Steven Scottsdale, I think it was last year at the IB, what was that? IMN conference. IMM, and I, how do you say it? I-M-N. I, so I-M-N. So that's a giant conference. And you talk about feeling small. Those guys, oh my are, God. what, 80,000 homes, 50? Yeah. Like, so it, um, I paid $2,800 to get in. Right? How much? 2800 Okay. That's how much I paid to get in. And I walk into the room and I just feel poor. Just poor, right? <laughs> and I'm walking around and everyone's got the nice suits, which is fine, right? Not a big deal. And these guys are on stage and they're like, yeah, you know, how many homes do you own? I got 30,000 homes. How about you? Oh, I got 80,000 homes. Like, okay. Right. Definitely the dumbest person in this room. <laughs> For sure. Right? I was like. <laughs> and they're talking man. about what they do. And like, it's just crazy. Like the conversations in that room are higher than any other conversations I've had. So yeah, I mean, the goal is always to get into a room where you feel small. Right. Right. And, um, meet up, like. What's the first thing? Meetups, pop-ups, would you recommend? Like, because we have a lot of new mm -hmm. people just breaking in. What would you recommend people watching? How should uh, they go about? Because obviously you got to pay 2,800 bucks, three grand for that. That's, I mean. That's, that's, not, that's not the first place you go. Right, that's right. the place you go once you have an established business. But I would say Aria. I mean, just go to your local Aria. Yeah, 100%. Right? I mean, you and I, we bump into each other at yep. uh, Azra, right? That's the biggest Aria in the country uh, held by our friend Michael Del Preet. And so... Go into RIA, meet other people, collaborate. If not that, find your favorite influencer in your market, right? Go to their meetups if they have one. If not, find someone that you like, that you respect, that you resonate with. And I think that's key, right? Resonate. Someone that you yeah. resonate with. You watch them on social media, you right? see their actions, see what they're doing. See that they've done what you wanna do and they live in the life that you wanna have. Right. right. Make sure those two things are happening. See where they're at, hang out where they're hanging out. or. Or another, you can ask them, like, where, who did you learn from, right? Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of avenues. Like, you don't need money to get into the business. And we hear that all the time, right? It's such a um, self-limiting belief, too. Yeah. Like, I didn't come from a lot of money. And my parents didn't own a lot of real estate. But yeah. I wanted to get into it. So I had to figure out how to get the money. Right. It's all over. There's yeah. so much money out there. There's a lot of money out there. Now, I was lucky, right? My parents did have money. When I, when I got into it, cause they worked hard their whole lives. But you know, like I also look up to them because they came over here with nothing, right? Like we came yeah. here as immigrants, you know, like uh, literally like the clothes on our back. 
So uh, even though I had resources, but those resources came from my parents working hard. So, um, but yeah, I, I think as far as like going to a meetup, meeting just, other people, like you just don't put need a yourself whole lot. out there. Put yourself out because I'm I'm a more of an introvert too. Like you said, I I like being around people, but to a certain extent. So yeah. I had to kind of force myself to go to the meetups. But guess what? Once you're there, you're like, wow, this is. And you're gonna find other people that are trying to do the same thing as you. Right? 100%. Now you can yeah. connect, get coffee together, uh, jump on Zoom calls together, hold each other accountable. I mean, it's just. What are their hobbies, too? Oh, you play basketball? Cool. Yeah. I play basketball. Let's go shoot some hoops. Let's go to the gym, whatever. Like, yeah, I was, like, I was talking to Philip earlier, right? Just down, there, uh, just down the way over here at the church, I play basketball with Xavier Major and Brad Mortensen, right? Two other guys in our business. We just hang out Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. It's crazy. It's five thirty in the morning, but we we have obviously sometimes here. you have to make yourself available. If those guys are doing it, yeah, I want to go work out with those guys, no matter what time it is. Like, yep. But that's super cool. So, well, actually, let me stop you there real quick. So, Pace and I used to run at five thirty in the mornings, right? I remember Monday, that. Wednesday, yeah. Fridays at yeah. Discovery Park. Again, not that far from here, right? And I would post it on Instagram. Pace and I are running at five thirty in the morning. You know how many people that came out to run with us in all those years we were posting it? Four what right that like, blows me away if like, i was starting brand new uh-huh and i knew there were two millionaires running together yeah, that are Monday, Wednesday, Friday, doing amazing things like i would be there and you have four people four ever man yeah it doesn't equate to me because so I that's why i'm not worried also about putting information out there yeah so if you want to go work out play basketball steve's playing down there so we haven't talked about one of the big things you got going right now, uh, real estate disruptors. Mm -hmm. That is an amazing, amazing show. So tell me more what the vision is, how that got started. And you know, it's, it's, I really enjoy watching it. Oh yeah. Thank you. Uh, so I was at Dean Graziosi's event. So I just did a podcast this past week with Dean Graziosi and I posted on YouTube. I got some really nasty comments, right? They're like, this guy's a scam artist, blah, blah, blah. Fact of the matter is I was at his event in 2018. And he inspired me to start a podcast. So if everyone ah. thinks he's a scam artist, whatever, he inspired me. And by me creating my podcast, I've changed a lot of lives. 100%. Right? So yeah. say, what, say, what, say what you want about uh, Dean. Right. He changed my life. So I started this podcast. Uh, I, I was on a mission to really, there was one of my objectives was to bridge this gap between realtors and wholesalers. Because I'm in both worlds. Mm-hmm. But they hate each other. Right. right? Like right. they're always looking Brent, down Brent on each other. Brent just had a video on that today about realtors and wholesalers. So it's, yeah, it, yeah so totally. The, the vision was to bridge that gap. So I actually alternated between wholesaler and realtor. Like if you look at the first eight episodes, wholesaler, realtor, wholesaler, realtor, right? I mean, Russell Shaw was one of my guests. Oh, in the, in okay. The He's been doing it, what, 40 years? 40 He's, plus years. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, but I also look at my analytics and I came to a crossroads, which I imagine kind of like MSNBC. And Fox News, they have to make a business decision, mm. all right? One piece of content resonates more <laughs> than the other piece of content. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, forget the realtor side, we're just going wholesalers and flippers. But uh, that was the original reason why I started it. 2018? 2018. Okay. So uh, May of 2018 was my very first episode with Templeton Walker, right? Um, Shout out to Templeton. Yeah, <laughs> Templeton. So, uh, but I, I started that. It's like, you know, let's see where this goes. And we filmed 10 episodes and see if this goes anywhere. And on the second episode, we had Carlos Reyes and Sal Shakir, and that thing just kind of 
So these are all the local. We have so many amazing people in Arizona. We're the guru capital of the world. The guru capital of uh, the world, yeah. Yeah. There's so many great coaches and just sharp thinkers in Arizona. It's crazy. So, So, But yeah, I I created that. And uh, I said from episode one, I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. That's Uh, right, yeah. uh, We can validate 11 because only 11 people have actually submitted uh, a document certified by the CPA. Amazing, amazing. Everyone else is kind of mentioned. fist bump. That's so yeah. so proud. Yeah, that's cool. So only 11 people have done it. So I'm always looking for more because we, we send them like trophies. We'll mail it to them. Yeah, right? I remember. I remember. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but on a mission to create 100 millionaires, and I genuinely believe uh, that we've done it already. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But validated, verified, 11. 11. That's super cool. So who is on the show? Is it all? wholesalers still and creative real estate guys or it's predominantly like, wholesalers and flippers okay that includes creative um but wholesalers and flippers um we've had some hard money lenders on there we've had some mindset people if you need an airbnb guy on there you know where to find them absolutely absolutely <laughs> love to be on that one yeah so yeah we can definitely make that happen That'd be um, sweet. and so but that's that was the the mission right to bridge that gap create 100 millionaires and um that gap is not Getting bridged. I think we're just gonna, they're going to go after each other forever. Like that's uh-huh. that's a cause that I can't I can't <laughs> fix. Right, right. Um, but where is wholesaling going, Steve? Is like I've been hearing stuff for years. Oh, is that legal or illegal? And like, well, I think it's safe for us here for the next few years because okay. we just passed was it HB twenty four zero seven or twenty four twenty seven something like along those lines. We just passed that. Okay, right, which basically says you need to disclose in writing to the seller that you're planning on wholesaling property. Right, which I thought was like the most toothless legislation yeah. ever, <laughs> uh, but it is what it is. So I think it's safe for a while here. Uh, for a while, I thought maybe if you can't wholesale or you have to become licensed, then you just have to become licensed. Now I'm thinking about it. Well, if if wholesaling was illegal today, we would just flip more, right? And who loses here? The homeowner, because I have to buy it deeper to flip it, mm. right? So, but I think if wholesaling goes away, which I don't think it's going away in the next couple of years. Maybe in four or five years, right? All that's going to happen is then everyone has to flip it. And if everyone has to flip it, then the legislation that would be passed to protect the homeowners would just end up screwing the homeowners more. That's, right. my, that's my suspicion. Gotcha, gotcha. So it sounds like with the blockchain and what you're working on now, you're very... And then you let's talk about the sales training. You do mm-hmm. um, your own courses for... Yep. Yeah, so training. I basically took everything I learned from sales training, you know, between uh, Sandler... Uh, Chris Foss never split the difference, neurologist programming, and 15 years of just getting punched in the mouth, right? Because we're in sales. Uh, and I took that and I applied it to real estate. So I gave really real estate specific language, uh, the scripts, uh, the dialogue, how to interact, how to pull away effectively, how to create scarcity. Uh, a lot of these difficult conversations you need to have as a professional home buyer. So we have a training that's catered all around that. Love it. And you will share your website and all your uh, social media after where all the viewers can follow you and they'll see your courses too, right? Yeah. And that's like one of the, one of the cool things that happened, not by design. I never said I'm going to be a sales trainer one day, you know, because if you talked to me five years ago or if you talked to me 15 years ago, like this is the worst salesperson you'll ever meet. Mm. Right. Cause I was an engineer, terrible salesperson. Right. So uh, I think I'm uniquely qualified to teach sales because I was really awful at sales. I had to learn every single piece yeah. that comes with being a good salesperson. And then we 
we took it, we documented it, we put it together and created a course out of it. That's fantastic. So, man, I've learned a lot today just sitting here uh, chatting with you. Let's, let's kind of end up, Steve, talking about the market and the shift and like yeah. from your numbers and analytics, what, what are you seeing out there on nationally and then locally here? So I think it's really interesting, you know, like if you were in, in the middle of June, it seemed like the world was falling apart, you know, because we had on January 1st, Jerome Powell, the uh, Fed chairman said that uh, we're going to stop buying houses or mortgage-backed securities, right? Like that was January, June 1st. I was like, what the heck is this? And we saw like mortgage rates jump up. And then June 15th, they raised uh, the Fed rate by 75 bips, right? 0.75%. And then mortgage rates go up even more. And now I was like, holy crap, what is happening? This market's coming to a screeching halt. Last week, the Fed met again and raised another 75 bips. I didn't hear anything about it. Like, no one's talking about it. Right, right. How was that possible? Like, last month when it happened, it was the worst thing ever. End of the world. Ever. <laughs> yeah. He raised another 75 bips and no one cares. So, what's interesting is I think this is really uh, screwing up how uh, iBuyers and hedge funds are buying houses. Mm, so, do yeah. you remember... Uh, when we were at IMN, the guy said, uh, the way we buy houses is different than how you guys buy houses. Mm -hmm. Because the way that most people buy houses, you have to look at comps. I look at the comps, look at the three to six houses that have sold in the last three to six months, and that's what the house is worth, right? That's how everyone is getting a mortgage buys houses. How do they buy houses? Well, can I get a certain yield on this, right? Can I get a 4% return? If I buy this house for 400000 can I get, I don't know, 1600 bucks a month? Whatever the number is. Right, right, right. Can I get that rental? And that's how we make our decision, right? We take the 1600 whatever the rent is, back it out to get a 4% yield, and that's what we can pay, which was oftentimes fifty dollars to $60,000 higher than market value. Right, right, right. So that's how they're able to buy houses. However, with the Fed rate going up as much as it has, a 4% yield will no longer make any sense for these hedge funds and iBuyers. And mm. the 4% yield no longer makes sense. They can no longer buy houses. So what's going to be interesting to see if the Fed rate continues to go up, I think that means the hedge funds are gone. Because right. they, in Arizona and across America, big, big portion of the business was done through hedge fund. Right. I mean, so... So they were driving a lot of demand. So I yeah. think some of the hedge funds, the hedge funds that are borrowing money from like pensions and... Um, and that kind of, they source their money from uh, other pensions or whatever, they can keep buying houses. If you are borrowing money to buy houses, you're out of business, right? And you look at some of these biggest, bigger funds, they're borrowing money, right, from Wall Street to buy these properties because they can make the money on the Delta, right? If they're borrowing at two and they're able to get 4% arbitrage, right? They're wholesaling more or less, right? Right, right, right. They're making money off of that. So I think that, that spread yeah. market's gone. So I think with that happening, the hedge funds are going, or a lot of the hedge funds are going away. Not all of them. A lot of the hedge funds are going away. Uh, I heard OfferPad stop buying. I'm, I haven't verified it. Uh, Open door. <laughs> they wanted to win. They won. They have more properties than anybody else in Phoenix. So they're probably in a lot of financial trouble. So that's, uh, I, I think. So does that create opportunity for us as the little buyers? I think, yeah. So I know, I, I remember about 2015, 2016, I did all my own PPC campaigns, right? So from 2010 up until about 2016, 2017, I did all my own PPC. And I remember- like, For those viewers who don't know, PPC is- uh, Google pay-per-click, okay. right? So all those advertisements on the top. 
I did all my own PPC and uh, that's how I was buying all these houses for a while. And uh, I could no longer compete because there was this open door company yep, yeah, and there was this offer yeah. pad company. And so like, I can't compete against their, no what they're willing to pay. I can't, yeah, there's no way you can I can't compete beat against them, right? these companies. So uh, I turned off PPC. And then when we restarted a year or two ago, I talked to the consultant that was running our PPC. He's like, hey, I'm very clear. Turn off the East Valley, right? I don't want any <laughs> That's leads. That's where we're at right now. Right? Yeah. I don't it want any leads in Scottsdale, Chandler, uh, Tempe, uh, Gilbert. I don't want any of those leads. If I see any of those leads coming through, I'm going to be very upset with you. We're not bidding in East Valley because that means we're competing as open door and offer pad. And they were overpaying, like Steven said, what, 50, 60,000? 60, over, over. Right. And they, yeah, the, that, that business model, like I, you knew it had to implode. It had like, to end at some point. Yeah. So the opportunity today is that we can actually compete on those now. 100%. So I feel like there's going to be more opportunity for us. As oh, 100%. Small I'm buyers. excited. I think that we're going through a valley of death. Uh, through the rest of the year, I think we're going to go through a little bit of a purge. Uh, people that are in the business may not make it all the way to the end. You know, it's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And I think those that make it all the way through the end of the year are going to have a killer Q1 in 2023. Yeah, yeah. And for Airbnb, like, we could get creative now, too, because we're, we're back to those days where we could structure some creative financing. Yeah. And, you know, people are sitting on properties longer, so it really helps our business acquisition mode. So right. we'll see what it brings. But again, you always have to be pivoting as we have the last 20, like I, there's always pivots in the, the marketplace, right? Yeah. So have your mentors, guys, because if you try to do it alone, it's, it's gonna be a long road. There's only one constant and that constant is change and it changes faster every single year. Yeah, that's fact, fact. So I really enjoyed having you, Steve. Um, any th final thoughts you want to share with the viewers? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing, right? Like for me, working for somebody just didn't work for me. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're stuck at a job that you're not happy with, bet on yourself. And that was a great time to. I think Beyonce sang that song. Like, I, and that's, you have to believe that. So you have to affirm that every day. You put the note cards up, guys. Like, mm -hmm. I am this, whatever you want to be, but you have to bet on yourself. And that starts with affirmations and surrounding yourself with your network and just making yourself be, be known. Like, yeah. So good times ahead. Uh, this has been episode 12 with Stephen Trang. Where do the people find you? Um, the best place social? to find me is on Instagram at steve.trang, S-T-E-V-E.T-R-A-N-G, or just go to YouTube or iTunes and Spotify, Real Estate Disruptors. Awesome, awesome, guys. We'll be posting this in a couple weeks on our YouTube channel, the Airbnb Climb, and then also on Spotify, Cut the Curve. So stay tuned. I had a blast, Steve. I learned a ton. I hope you guys did, and we'll see you on the next Cut the Curve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. Thanks yes. for having me.